0: Good morning church, take out your Bibles and turn to Ephesians, we're going to be in chapter 5, continuing in our series on the home, and uh, while you're turning there a couple of things I want, uh, actually one thing I want to invite you to, uh, in a forward campaign we are having a dinner called an early commitment dinner, we're going to be at the Brody Homestead right down here. Um, at uh, Brody, where Rody runs into 290 or whatever that is, uh, Ben White. There's a, a place there where we're going to have a big dinner. You are invited, um, but if you need to scan that QR code, if you're here, take your phone out. We can leave it up for just a second. If you take your phone out, you can scan that and um, and let us know that you're going to be coming. We're going to be talking about the campaign, getting into more nitty-gritty, um, that sort of thing. But it's just going to be a night for fellowship, talking, questions. And uh, So I hope that you'll, you can join us there if, you, if you'd like, um, so the early commitment dinner. But then later on uh, October the 30th, right here on Sunday morning, we're going to have a commitment service uh, where we're going to commit... All of us together where we feel like the Lord is leading us to commit financially to this building campaign uh, called Forward. And um, that's the day where we're going to lay it down. We're going to see what the Lord provides through all of us. And then um, we'll make decisions moving forward on all of that. But just that's the timeline. We encourage you to come to the dinner and then prepare and be praying for October the 30th, that Sunday morning, for Commitment Sunday. Ask the Lord what would you have me do uh, in all of this? I'm praying that. I hope that you're joining me in that as well, and uh, as well as the campaign team. And um, so join us in that journey. We hope that you would. Um, today, we continue in our series on the home. I'm going to read Ephesians 5, verse 22 down to 33. The theme is obviously marriage. When you're talking about the home, one of the most critical factors of a healthy and strong home is a healthy and strong marriage. And so we look here at what Paul writes um, when, regarding, regarding marriage, and we're going to unpack it this morning. So let's read, and then we'll pray and ask the Lord to just guide us here. Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband this is god's word let's pray together father we just uh dedicate this time to you and lord as we um meditate upon your text here uh, lord i pray by your spirit would you guide us um lord would you uh move in us whether we are married or not maybe preparing for marriage Uh, maybe we're not married never going to be um, but Lord, would you move in this text, and would you, by your Holy Spirit, enlighten our hearts and our lives into how we would apply this, and how we can aid strong marriages for strong homes. Uh, so Lord, just to guide our thoughts here, I pray that the words of my heart uh, would be pleasing to you today, and they would be fulfilling and strengthening. And so we ask for you to take charge, to speak to us, in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. of couples that meet at the altar, and this is me speaking, um, I believe they come to the altar and they believe with all their heart, no doubt, that they will stay married to that person for the rest of their life. And they say those vows not in vain or trial, they say those vows truly and expect to stay married the rest of their life. And yet a little over half don't. They don't end up staying together, statistics in our country show that. Well, the question is, what happened between I do and I'm done? What happened there, right? Well, I think what happened to both those who make it and to those who don't, the same things generally happen. Maybe at different levels, maybe specifically different, but generally speaking, the same thing happened in all Marriages, I heard someone say, and this is an older country gentleman that I would just say loves the the Lord, but he said this really, I thought it was funny one time. He said, marriage is like flies on a screen door. The ones on the outside are trying to get in while the ones on the inside are trying to get out. (laughs) So from the outside, looking into this institution called marriage, the idea of marriage is kind of like we think about it like a, a beautifully wrapped Christmas present for us, right? Um, that all of our deepest longings and and desires are going to be satisfied in this institution as we, as we enter into it. It's going to fulfill me at a, a deep level. But when you get into it, you find that it comes with challenges and, and difficulties and frustrations. And what you find... Every couple will find and realize that that beautifully wrapped Christmas present, as you open it, it is empty. And every couple finds that marriage is the same thing as many things in life, and this is true. You get out of marriage what you put into it, no doubt about it. Paul is writing our text that we read today. And to understand this text, you really need to understand Paul, Jew, Pharisee of Pharisees, he called himself. So his teaching, his understanding, his foundation of what marriage is and why it was created and all of that is coming from the old. Testament. He even refers to Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother hold fast to his wife. He's saying all this comes from Genesis, y'all. Go look at it. Okay, so what we need to do briefly this morning is we need to go look at it and we need to set the foundation of all the assumptions of what he's talking about in Ephesians 5:22 to 23. And so let me warn you, you need to listen fast this morning. Can y'all do that? Y'all have had your coffee? You need to listen fast, right? Because I'm not going to preach longer. But I am going to preach a longer sermon in less time, okay? So you're going to have to follow me fast. I'm going to come at you like, a, like you're drinking from a fire hose this morning. So listen fast and follow along with me here. First thing that you need to understand from Paul when it comes to marriage is that marriage is an institution that God created. Marriage is not a man-made institution. It came from Genesis. It comes from creation. It comes from God. He designed this thing. And he had a reason for designing it, and he had a reason for it. And so we need to understand what he was thinking when he, not in a negative way, what were you thinking? But we need to think about it in terms of what motivated, what what was God trying to solve with marriage? What is marriage really all about? Why should we think about getting into marriage? What is that? Well, it's an institution he created, so let's get into his idea. Knowing what He says, so unpacking that comes from Genesis, and basically Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. I'm going to flow through this uh, quickly. God made Adam, and he made him to work the ground and take care of it. God creates everything, and then he creates Adam as his representative head on the earth. In other words, uh, God's authority is represented by Adam. Adam is given authority over the earth, over creation. Adam is to rule, to take care of everything, and to represent God as a man made in his image on the earth. And so in Genesis 2.18, it says, then the Lord God said, Adam's there, he's in the garden, he's to work the ground and take care of it, he has authority over the earth. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Great phrase there. And so here we have the reason for marriage. Man is alone, and he should not be alone. So companionship, togetherness is the first and primary reason for marriage. But then it says, I will make a, him a helper, someone who is um, involved in a project with someone. So it's almost like you're working on something, and someone comes and joins you to assist, to help out, to join you in the project. So it's two people working together on the same project. Um, And what is the project that Adam had is to fulfill God's will on the earth in his life. And so marriage was meant to be a help to fulfilling God's will for your life on this earth. Marriage, the whole marriage paradigm is to assist both in fulfilling God's will for your lives together. One major error, and let me me put this on the screen. One major error from our culture regarding marriage is that the highest goal of marriage is personal fulfillment. The focus is wrong. If you are putting the pressure on your marriage to fulfill you personally, and that's your highest aim for marriage, you are putting undue pressure on that institution to satisfy you in ways it was not intended to satisfy you. The ultimate focus on marriage, of marriage, is not marriage. The ultimate focus of marriage is twofold, accomplishing God's will for you and the world. He has a job for you to do. He has something he wants you to accomplish with your life. And marriage is there to help you fulfill that. Secondly, become the person that God wants you to become. And so when you are becoming the person God wants you to become, marriage is assisting you in that. You live for God's will in the world, your spouse helps you in that. When you're trying to become the person God wants you to be, your spouse is a part of the shaping process for you. And can you see the conflicts if you think marriage is there to satisfy all your longings and fulfill you? You might have the wrong expectations of marriage. It wasn't created for that purpose. Then he says, a helper fit for him fit for him. Literally in the Hebrew, this is coming from the other side. It's, it's two people coming from two different and opposite angles on the same project. In other words, it's like a puzzle piece, two different pieces of puzzle coming together to make the whole of fulfilling God's will f- through that person, through those, that couple. So coming from the other side, different gifts and skills, the other side of the spectrum, if you will, two of them coming together for the completion the completion of the work. The completion of the work. And so this is what God said. I'll make a helper fit for him. Someone different than him but like him. And, she, and this person will come together and help him do what I've called him to do on the earth. So God's going to make this person. And the first step in God making a helper for Adam, you know what it was? If you look at the text and you pay attention, it'll be, it'll be weird. Because the first thing God does is he doesn't put him to sleep. The first thing he does is he said, let's go name the animals. And you're like, that's an odd place to put it right in the middle of the story. Like, okay, let's go over and do this odd job. Like, it seems like, why am I going to name the animals? A couple of reasons for the naming of the animals. In verse 19, it says, God had Adam name all the animals. So the Hebrew tradition to name something is to exercise your authority over it. Adam was made to represent God on the earth and the authority that God gave gave him. God, in Genesis 1, created everything, light, earth, everything, water, all the firmament and all that sort of thing, and God named it in the process. If you go back to Genesis 1, God called to the light. In other words, he named it day. He named it night. He named his creation. Well, Adam was put as God's representative on the earth, and what is Adam doing He goes, now you be like me on the earth. Name what I've given you authority over. So he's beginning to name all the things that he has authority over. And he's representing God with this authority. So that's the whole thing. But in the process of naming, something, uh, Adam comes to discover some things. And he does it slowly, probably over time. The idea is that he was naming and he was looking and nothing. No one was like him. They all have two. They all have two. They all have two. It's just me. What was God doing? You see, God could have come up to him and said, Adam, okay, here's the deal. You're by yourself. All right? And I'm going to make someone so you're not by yourself. And he didn't do that. Now, if you think about how God works in your life, think about what the heart of God is in this. It's beautiful. But he comes to Adam and he has Adam name all the animals. And what's he doing? Adam is growing and is understanding of a burden that something isn't, something isn't, Complete. Something in right. Um, And God begins to build this burden and this longing within him. So eventually God would, would get Adam to see how he desires someone like him. And then God would go and blow his mind. Did you know God loves to satisfy you? He loves it. He gives you longings. He gives you desires. God is not, a, not a, a, a against passions and desire. God is fueling it many times. He'll fuel your longings, and then he wants to satisfy those longings. That, uh, God is all about incredible happiness and joy and fulfillment. And he wants to do that in your life. But God names the animals. This, this thing begins to build. And then in verse 20, no helper is fit for him. So he sees there's no one there like me. And then verse 22, God goes and makes Eve. And then it says, God brings her to the man. And this is why in traditional marriages you'll have the father. In, the, in this first wedding, you'll see the father God brings the woman to the man. And in the traditional wedding, what happens? Uh, you know, the, the doors go bam. The organ goes wham. You know, and then, and then she comes through with her father, and the father is bringing the daughter to the man, and the man does what? <laughs> right? He just loses his mind right here. I, every wedding I do, I get there and I go, all right, here it comes. All right, we're going to do it. And then I'm like, the door's open, here she comes, and then he is like, can't get control of himself. Like, and I'm thinking, you just saw her an hour ago taking pictures. Why this moment? Why this thing? And here's why it's God's blessing. This is supernatural. This is God. This is a divine thing, and it's beautiful, and he wants him to be a flubbling guy. He wants him to be like, oh, oh, my goodness. He wants him to lose his mind in that moment, and God wants to do that, and God is pulling all that together, and he's doing it in a beautiful way right there. Well, that's what he was doing here. He God brought her to the man. Adam freaks out, sings a song, or cites a poem, whatever you want to say there, and he goes, flesh of my flesh, and all that, all that stuff is Hebrew poetry or a song, and he just sings like, whoa. Like, man, uh, and this is what's taking place there. But then we see that the first thing Adam does is he names her. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, that's a sense of leadership and authority and responsibility. And so the first thing, marriage has leadership structure. It is God's design that the man lead his family. And we're not talking about value. We're not talking about the man's more important or everything that man says goes. We're not talking about this kind of thing. What we're talking, both man and woman, equally human beings on the earth. No, no doubt about that. and value before God and each other, they're all equal. The same thing as kids. Kids are just as, e- just as equal in value to parents. Uh, it's not about that. It's about order. It's about leadership, order. So two equal human beings before God, both seeking God's will in their life together. God looks ultimately to the man as the one responsible for the family. Fast forward to after the fall. Who's the first person God comes to? He goes first to him. What have you done? He goes to the man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is what Paul was quoting in Ephesians 5. And so the first thing we see here is marriage is union. Marriage is union. Two become one flesh. Two become so intimate they are as one person. You began to be thought of as two rather than one. Total intimacy in verse 25. And it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Marriage is total intimacy. Intimacy. They were both naked and felt no shame. This is not just physical nakedness. It's total emotional, spiritual, and physical nakedness with one another. There was no sin. There was no shame. There was no hiding. uh, There was no insecurities. They were completely, 100%, open and transparent and intimate with one another at every single level. And we could even say that they both were so given to each other in selfless love both of them thinking of the other above them above themselves there's pure total beautiful intimacy in marriage here but then something happened and we all know what it was right eve is tempted adam was given the command if you think back adam was given the command by god not to eat of this and what he can eat of and what he can't and eve was not in existence Eve was made after who did God give the responsibility to tell Eve the command? Well, the text says that Adam was told to pass that on. We assume Adam was given that responsibility to tell her. How well did he do? Eh, he did all right. If you look at her interactions with, uh, in the temptation, eh, she just she roughed it up a little bit. But he, he got enough in there to know, I know both of us know this is not the thing we're supposed to do. The problem is, is that the whole time she's being tempted, Adam stood right beside her the whole time. And then he engaged with her in the sin. There's a book written called The Passivity of Adam. You need to look at it. The Passivity of Adam is the passivity of men. The greatest enemy of your marriage is passivity. Passivity spiritually. Men are plagued with becoming the, the, the follower spiritually in their home. And it started all right there with Adam. But the result of the fall on marriage, in verse... In chapter 3, 16b, God speaks specifically to marriage when he speaks to the woman. He goes talks to Adam and then he talks to the woman. And God said to the woman in that verse, he said this, Your desire will be for your husband or contrary to your husband, but, you shall, but he shall rule over you. And it's very confusing. How do you, what do you mean? What did God mean by that? Well, if you look in the next chapter... God is speaking to Cain. Cain is seeing very jealous over his brother. He's angry at him. He wants to kill him. Um, and God sneaks up beside Cain and he says, um, sin crouches at your door. And he said the exact same Hebrew phrase, the exact same structure in the Hebrew. Sin, uh, it, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Same Hebrew structure. So we get an idea of what God means by this is is basically this. Marriages will now be plagued with conflict. I know that surprises you and shocks you. Um, You don't know what I'm talking about. Originally, they had mutual love and sacrifice for one another, total intimacy. Now they're going to hide from each other. Now they're going to have insecurities. Um, Each will seek to dominate the other and be driven by selfish motives. And so basically God is saying this, from now on opposites will attract and then attack. The battle in your marriage is not going to be with your spouse. The battle in your marriage will be with you against your own sin nature. That's the real battle selfish person battling to be selfless. And you really only can with the gospel. A couple of encouraging things for you concerning this. One, there is no perfect spouse. Some of y'all thought you had it. No. No matter who you marry, they are flawed. And let me just prepare you. They are flawed in ways that are deeper deeper than you will probably ever know. They have warts, scars, hurts, habits, hang-ups, all kinds. So here's the next thing to encourage you. There is no perfectly compatible marriage on the planet, says God. Says God. Your desire will be for your husband, but he he shall rule over you. This is going to be the case with selfish sinners who are seeking to live in this relationship. Our assumption sometimes is that because marriage has conflict and sometimes deep conflict, that it's just not meant to be, you know? It's just not it's what it's meant to be. Well, that means no marriage is meant to be. Our assumption can also be that because marriage has conflict and deep conflict, that we should find another one. Guess what you'll find in that new one? Conflict. Because God says it's going to be in every union. It's going to be in everyone. And guess what else you'll find in that other conflict? You. And you took you with you. And you got flaws. And now you probably have more flaws than you did. Listen to this. The real problem of marriage is two individuals selfish by nature because of the fall, are seeking to exist in an institution that was created originally requiring selflessness from both. Paul writing to the Ephesians is assuming that we have received gospel power in our hearts to reverse the gravitational force of selfishness in our hearts. That the selfless sacrifice of the Son of God And the Spirit of God applying his death on our behalf has reversed the trends of selfishness or at least starts eating away at it where the gravity is not so strong. And we can begin to feel like we can live our lives for the welfare of other people and make great sacrifices in that regard. That we can be like Christ in that regard, and that even in our marriage that we can, by the grace of Jesus, begin to eat at, away from all the things that come from the fall and begin to experience at least directionally some of what the original intent of this institution really was supposed to provide by the grace of Jesus. This is what Paul is assuming. And Paul, Paul's whole emphasis assumes that wives, you're going to be because of the grace of Jesus and receiving his love selfless love for you that you're going to be more focused on your husband and his needs than you are your own and husbands that because you've received the grace of Jesus and his selfless love for you that you're going to have power now to think about your wife and her needs above your own and I'm assuming that that's true for you and then he goes now assuming that's true and assuming you know everything we're talking about from Genesis he says I'm going to start with the wives That's what he says. I'm going to start with the wives. He says, wives, submit to and respect your husbands. That's the two things for wives in that whole passage there. Submit to and respect your husbands. And it just so happens that this aligns with a husband's, generally speaking, husband's greatest need in marriage. So let me talk to you wives first about, generally speaking, husband's greatest needs in marriage. And the first thing is... Acceptance. Acceptance. Wives are so close to their husband's heart and in that relationship that they can see his flaws more clearly than perhaps anyone else on the planet and even maybe even more clearly than he himself. He is a flawed human being along with everyone else on the planet. But when you see his flaws, it can cause you to make him sort of your project. And he is your project because that's why you're there. You're there as a part of God's sanctifying work in his heart and in his life. And so, yeah, you're going to see his flaws. And, yes, they are flaws. You're not wrong. But how you treat him with his flaws is where we're talking about now. Accept him, flaws and all. He needs to hear you accept him, flaws and all. God's going to use you to sanctify him and to work on those flaws. But if you're ex- but many times wives can get so hyper-focused on the flaws and getting after those things that you can communicate to him unacceptance, that he's not acceptable. A husband needs to feel, yeah, I got flaws, but you love me anyway. You accept me anyway, fully, and you're glad you gave your life to me for the rest of your life. That's what a man needs to hear. So make sure that in all your interactions that he's hearing that overarching message of acceptance in his life from you rather than the other. Secondly, respect. Give him honor in his home. Give him honor in his life from you. Did you know that a man needs respect from his wife more than he needs sex I know, ladies, that shocks you. But it's true. Respect is, it, when you give him respect, you're meeting the, a deeper need than that physical intimacy. Of course, we're gonna get to that. Um, but if you wanna know what fuels your husband in his home to be the man you really want him to be, it's when you give him honor that he probably doesn't even deserve because he knows his flaws and you know his flaws, but you still honor him, not because he deserves to be honored, but because that's God's prescription for the structure that I'm in, that I'm going to honor my husband. It's the same reason you honor your parents, even when you don't obey everything they do, and maybe some of them were cruel. You still honor them. Why? Because God said to honor them. There's an order here. There's an order. And so we honor honor your husbands. It's very healthy for your husband's heart to feel like he's honorable, And when you honor him, he feels like he is honorable. And I promise you, he will seek to live up to that state. He will want to be an honorable man. Trust your husband. When you're following the lead of anybody, it requires a level of trust. Trust. I'm not talking about blind trust and you know he's going to completely run you all into a disaster or anything like that. Or that you can't speak or you keep your mouth shut and follow. None of that stuff. What we're, what we're talking about is you're going to have to give him trust and you need to communicate to him that you trust his leadership. Um, from time to time, make the overarching message of your interactions with him that, that, you, that you trust him. And so when you have to talk to him about, hey, are you sure about this? Or I don't know that we should go this way or whatever. All of that needs to be communicated. All that needs to be hashed out. The husband should be listening to all of that and all of your concerns for sure. But when all is said and done, he needs to feel like you trust him. And when you communicate trust to him, he feels trustworthy. And he will not want to lose that trust. He will not want to, hopefully. Lastly, yeah, intimacy. And for ladies, for guys, that means something different than what you think. Uh, It's absolutely physical most of the time. It's a physical intimacy for sure. One of his greatest needs. I have heard, it said that in many studies that physical intimacy is a man's number one need on his list of needs. And then the same study for women says it's number 14 right behind gardening. <laughs> Typically, in marriage counseling, what I find and actually... Uh, I, I pre-marriage counseling. I try to set this tone. Let's just get it get it done early. But if they come in after, uh, women are shocked by how often the man is interested, um, because they think he's a pervert because he's always interested, always interested. And I try to tell them he is not a pervert. He is a completely very normal male. Uh, so just know that First Corinthians seven five is probably every husband's life verse, and we'd put it on our vehicle um, if if we could. Do not deprive one another. Uh, Except for seasons of fasting. What? Anyway. So that is a need, ladies. And since it's so awkward, we'll move on. But wives, these are deep core needs that are all really pointed to by our Ephesians 5, 22 to 33 passage. You give this to him. He can't ask for any of it. He can't request. You change all the dynamics if he sit there and demands it. You have to, only you can give this to him. But if you do give it to him. Much of what he needs as a man, as a husband, as a father will be satisfied in his heart. Husbands, your wife needs. Paul says, and Jesus says, love her as Christ loved the church. This is the model. That means that God gave her deep needs that you were meant to focus on and and satisfy as well. And the first one for her is this, being cherished. Even says in there, cherished her. The Lord Jesus cherishes his church, nurtures his church. Cherished. Typically, what husbands do is they get married and they got the trophy on the shelf, so to speak, kind of won the deal, and then they stop really pursuing their wives. They begin to, instead of pursuing their wives, they begin to really jump into their career and provide for their wives. It's a subconscious, natural instinct. Why we do it, I don't know. We just do. We just think about it. We think of the wedding as like the finish line, you know. And now we enter into just a new normal and we start coasting. We put the cruise control on. Now I'm going to go provide for her And we just do that. And what she feels like the wedding is the starting line of you pursuing her full time. And then you check out and you start doing this. And there becomes a, a, a gap there. You must put her needs above your own. The Lord Jesus left his glory for his church. He suffered and died for his church. He went all the way. He didn't own anything. He did it all for his church. You give up lots of things that are important to you. Why? For her highest welfare. You make sacrifices constantly for her welfare. You serve her, nourish her, cherish her. And that's your task for the rest of your life. And you never stop. You never stop pursuing your wife, ever. Her expectation is that you would pursue her. Well, then meet that expectation. Secondly, covenant security. She needs to be safe and strong in your continued communication of covenant security. Why? Would the bachelorette want a man to propose to her after such a god-awful process? What man in his right mind would propose to a woman who just finished dating three men? And they're still at the resort. And you want me to propose to you. And then there's this shot. Yeah, I watched it. My daughter had it on. And I'm sitting there griping at it the whole time. I'm going, what is this? Paganism. It's, oh, well, all right, let me get off that. The girl was devastated that the guy didn't want to propose to her. Devastated. At the resort, right then, after three dates with three, two other guys. And he was thinking he needs to date for a while. He doesn't know. I haven't dated you like with alone, just us. And I'm like, that's rational. That's rational. Um, and she is devastated. Why? Well, because all girls want the covenant security. They want to stop performance mode. Why wouldn't she just date all 50 guys all the time and have a great time? And just stay, stay dating all the time and have a great time. Because ultimately she wants covenant. She wants the security to be her full self. She wants to get out of performance mode. She wants to be a full self and be totally accepted. And totally secure in the love of another. Paul says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. He's talking about covenant love sacrificial love, committed love, all of me, all to all of you for all the rest of my life. That's what I'm in this for. And that's actually the foundation for all the passions. Because you can be fully you and be fully accepted. You can have a bad hair day. You can lose your beauty over the years. But you don't lose covenant. Covenant love. That's real love, ladies. And girls, if you're looking for a husband, that's what you're looking for. A guy that'll do covenant, the try before you buy stuff doesn't work. Why? Because a guy getting in a try before you buy relationships kind of likes continual trying with no commitment. And the girl gets frustrated because she never gets the commitment. Why would she even care to get the commitment? Because she wants covenant security. That you're with me no matter what. Better or worse, sickness or poor, sickness or in health. That's covenant. And that's what she needs to hear, not just at the altar, but every day in all kinds of subtle and little ways from you. All kinds of ways. Covenant, commitment. All of me to all of you for the rest of my life, no matter what. Lastly, attention. No, I'm sorry. Thirdly, attention. I better better wrap up okay women typically want your attention husbands attention attention from the time they're little girls they want daddy's attention then they get married and they want their husband's attention and what that looks like for your marriage is different depending on personalities and temperaments but most women want their husband's attention so be careful about giving your life attention to something else And sort of leaving her on the side. And if you give that sense in your relationship, she's going to long for more attention. And then lastly, intimacy. And ladies, yeah, we're not talking about the same kind of intimacy, all right? It's physical for men, but with women, it's deep personal interconnection, interconnectedness. Think of it this way, into me see. Next slide, yeah. Into me see. Guys. This is what kind of intimacy your wife wants, and honestly, you provide that kind of intimacy, you get your intimacy. All right, so I'm just telling you that's the pathway uh, there. So just letting you know. But into me, see, let your wife into your heart and your soul. The intimacy they had, total nakedness and felt no shame. That Genesis kind of intimacy is what she longs for, totally. You've heard it said that a way to a man's heart is through his stomach, right? Well, the way to a woman's heart is through eyes and ears. Conversation. Open your soul. And guys, it's hard for you to do this. I know it's hard for every guy to do this, but you sacrifice. You sacrifice. It's hard for us to talk about feelings and fears and emotions. And what's going on inside of us? We want to go to a cave, solve it ourselves, and come out all right, and then present ourselves to her. She wants to go through that with you. Bear your soul. Total nakedness of soul with your wife. Conversation, eye to eye. A woman would love it if you sat across the table and stared her in the eyes for an entire dinner and talked about your fears, your hopes, your dreams, your life, everything that's happening in your heart. Everything that's happened in your life, she will love it. But women, you need to know that when men look eye to eye like this, it means conflict. And we don't like that, so we start staring off like this, you know. Guys usually like talking shoulder to shoulder, you know. We catch eyes every once in a while. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. And then we talk and we look around like this, and then we catch eyes and then we look around. We don't like look at each other like this. But if you go into like a lunch place, you go to a lunch place and just look in the room. The guys, they're all like talking like this. The girls, and they're looking face to face, just like this. And it's like they're having two conversations and it's two people. It's, they're both talking. I don't know how that happens, but I watched it happen at a lunch place one day. I was like, look at that. They just don't even. They don't even come up for air. Like, it was like, it was. And I was like, man, and they love it. They love it. But God, you have got to do that. Eyes and ears, conversation, go down, don't come up for air, and, and, and go through all of that because that's what she really wants. Now, let me just boil it down and I'm done. High-level example, here's the nutshell of the whole thing. Husbands, focus on Christ and his love and service to the church and ask the Spirit of God in everything you think, everything you do in your marriage to reflect that. Let God have you. And so, you want specifics? There's your specific. Look at Jesus and his love for his bride, the church, and how he loves her, and you model that to your wife. And ask questions about it all the time, every interaction you have. Ladies, look to the church and its relationship to Jesus, and let that be a model for you and your interactions with your husband. The church's relationship to Jesus is your model. Keep your eyes on those things and apply that to your marriage at every single level, every thought toward your marriage. And you'll be fulfilling God's ideal for your marriage. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And um, Lord... We could have talked a whole lot about strategies and tactics, about how to get the fire burning again. But Lord, I know that the fire comes from you. Lord, I pray your word would restore marriages, would maybe heat up, cool off marriages, Lord, that marriage perspectives would be put in order that they would in turn because they're not the focus they would be fulfilling and rewarding and be what you want them to be so Lord we just take this time of response as we sing this song we we align ourselves and whatever that means through prayer, talking to you we align ourselves with your your word and your will so just uh, take this moment and engage with us Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We stand all across the room as we sing this song. Let's just do business with the Lord.